So many times with success and wealth, families get messed up, more often than not. And wealth is a curse. So we've really tried to put things in place to be stewards instead of owners. We have no one in our company that makes any more than what their salary is. There's never been a dividend. There will never be a dividend. That will be things that belongs to God. We see him owning it, so he owns the profit. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. My co-host, Scott Young, is en route to Bakersfield to MC our CityServe Global Summit. Uh, this weekend, we've got leaders from around the world that will be convening to celebrate what God is doing, uh, but also strategize uh, for the days ahead. You know, interviewing a hero is an honor. Uh, today, Wendell Vinson, my sidekick, co-founder of CityServe, and I have the privilege of interviewing two of our heroes. Uh, David Green, the CEO of Hobby Lobby, uh, Bill High, a longtime friend. He's over the Signature and Vine Legacy. Uh, David uh, and Bill, welcome. Thank you. Glad it's to, good be, to here. be here. Uh, a few weeks ago, Wendell and I met with Steve Green, your son, David. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful man of God and visionary. And then, uh, as I mentioned to you, my wife and I took the red eye to be there for the, the gala at the Museum of the Bible, and that was spectacular. Uh, somebody said to me, it's a great place to visit, and I replied, I like to live here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, midnight in the museum to be surrounded by God's Word that does not wither, that does not return void. Uh, but what a wonderful vision and ministry the Museum of the Bible is. And so thank you for that, David. Well, we were glad to have you there. It was good to see you there, and it was a great event. It was our fifth year anniversary, so we had a great audience there, and, and it, was, it, was, it all came together so well. We were proud of Steve and Jackie and all that, that put it together. Yeah, outstanding. David Green borrowed $600 in 1970 to start making picture frames in a garage. Hobby Lobby, get this, employs 50,000 people at 900 stores in 48 states and grosses $8 billion a year. I want to underscore 50,000 people. That's like a stadium. He is the co-author of Giving It All Away. He received the World Changer Award in 2013. He is the past recipient of the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Uh, he and his wife, Barbara, who's a, a godly woman, are proud parents of three, grandparents of ten, and great-grandparents of seven and counting, and I'm aware of one that's on the way. <laughs> yeah, by the way, we now know that there's two on the way, so that just keeps happening, yeah now, so we're excited about that. They love it. Uh, and they live in Oklahoma City. And next to David is, as I mentioned, a longtime friend, uh, Bill High, who's gone the extra mile to help my family, the Donaldson family, uh, helped us a ton with Convoy of Hope and now City Serve. And Bill, so grateful to you and your lovely wife, Brooke. Well, thank you, Dave. Always been a privilege to walk with you. And so Wendell's going to give your formal bio. Bill is the founder of Vine Legacy, Family Fruit That Last. He's also the founder and executive chairman 
of the Signatory, a global Christian foundation. He speaks and consults regularly on the subject of family legacy, including leading biblically-based workshops on that subject. Named one of the top 25 speakers in philanthropy in 2015, Hai is part of Forbes Nonprofit Council. Bill and his wife, Brooke, are proud parents of four and grandparents of three. They live in the Kansas City area. Bill, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. We actually, like David, have another grandchild, so it's up to four now. Got a long ways to go to catch up yeah, with him, yeah. but we're working on it. Hey, Bill, how does an attorney get the name Bill High? Tell us about oh, that. Are we going to start on that? But... It's a very perceptive mother and father. That's what it is. <laughs> well, with that said, we got to keep this show somewhat short because uh, we're on his clock. Yeah, so. exactly. You're That's smart. a good idea. You don't yeah. want the bill. Yeah. David, Wendell? you have a, a truly remarkable story of how God has taken you from humble beginnings to being the founder and the CEO of Hobby Lobby. Can you share with us a little bit about how God has brought you to where you are today? Uh, it's such a remarkable story. Yeah, well, we definitely know that God has helped us uh, to be where we are today, you know, because as you've already said, we started with $600. Our two sons uh, helped make these frames. They were seven years and nine years old, so we kind of think it might have been called child labor, but we did pay them seven cents a piece to put these together. My wife worked for the first five years for nothing at all. So that, with that help, God has uh, brought us to where we are today, and uh, we just give him thanks for uh, what he's done along the line, which has been tough times, and it's been good times, but overall we know that God has been with us all the time. That's just wonderful. Tell us about your new book, David, Leadership, Not by the Book. Why did you write this book? And uh, in this book, you talk a lot about giving the true owner the vote. What do you mean by that? Well, I, th I think there's a lot of things that we decide in life, uh, small matters, large matters. And I think what we need to do, I know what we need to do is we really need to walk alongside the Lord and, and see what he would have in our lives. I have to admit, there's a lot of times in my life I've done things because this is what I wanted to do and thought they were the right thing to do, and later found out, I wished I hadn't have done that. So hopefully we learn after a period of time that we really need to, to walk with the Lord and, and know that he is with us. So sometimes when you have the ability to do things, it's kind of dangerous because you should you really need to be prayerful about those things that you do, whether it's buy a new house, buy another business, whatever the case. So we really want to try to find a way to say, God, uh, how can you? we get your vote? How do we know that this is okay? Because sometimes we just don't know. You can't find it in the scripture whether you should do this or not in many cases. And so how do you know? And so we try to do things like maybe if we're going to purchase something to have a price there that just doesn't seem like, or it seems like it'd be a miracle if it's happening. So it's like giving God a vo uh, the ability to say no if it doesn't happen. Sometimes I say the things that we want to happen most, we probably ought to just pray that God just says, God, just put a big no door, just stop this. So those are the things I think we need to do on the things that we want most, is we need to know that God is with us. So how can we find a way to give him a vote? And we do that in different ways. 
You, you talk often, David, about the difference between ownership and stewardship. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? You know, that's probably one of the biggest things in this book that, that we all need to know as businessmen and people that have business and have some kind of ownership is because when we started doing very well, I knew that uh, the Bible talks about wealth can be a curse. And, I, and it, it scared me to death because I knew I had my children, I had great-grandchildren, that I didn't want to be millionaires before they were even born. And so we had people to come along and help us, but they were Christian people, but they told us to do the same thing that if you were a secular business, to hand it down to your children and your children's children. And so this, we could not, we could not live with that. We just knew that it was wrong. It was probably the worst times in my life. What do I do with this wealth that God has given me? And so in prayer in the backyard, you know, as, as businessmen, most of us will say God owns a business, but then we treat it the same as anybody else. But in the backyard, I know that the Lord just spoke to me, the Holy Spirit, that says, well, what would you do with this company if uh, the Jones family owns it? And I said, I'd have nothing to give. And it was sort of like, now you got it. And by the way, it's the same thing God's Word says. God's Word says He owns everything. So how can I own it and God own it? I can't. So we had to come to that realization, not just to say God owns it, but we, we, we did a lot of work technically. We had to have some, re, some attorneys to help us. But anyway, that's beside the point. But anyway, we came to a point where that all of the 100% of our ownership is in 1%, and we are now stewards uh, technically and legally and we want to steward what God gives us. So we see ourselves as stewards and not owners. So that's probably the biggest takeaway in this book is for us to know that we own nothing, God does, and how do we use it in such a way that pleases Him. Amen. You know, as I look at both of you on the screen here, I, I've got to ask, because Wendell and I are fascinated by successful partnerships. He and I have been working together for over 30 years. And iron has sharpened iron, even though there are times we, we wanted to murder each other. Uh, but, you know, what is it about your partnership? This is a great project, by the way. I, I've been handing this book out to everybody. And I can't wait to hand it out to leaders, uh, emerging leaders at Grand Canyon University here in a few weeks. But, you know, you have this beyond win-win partnership, both of you. How did that come about, and how do you guys complement each other when it, when it comes to a great project like this? I'm going to let you have that one. You don't want to tell your story about we've known each other? For yeah, sometimes I tell people we've known each other for 20 years, but we've been friends for the last three. You know, he's an attorney, and it takes a <laughs> long time to warm up to an attorney. So anyway, we say that, of course, in jest. So we have been together a long time. And we, we have common uh, interest, and that is to do something with what God has given us for His glory and to see more people come to know Christ. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to say it, David. We do have these common interests. And I will say that I've had the privilege of being able to work alongside of David all these years and just to be able to help be part of stewarding the story that they have, stewarding the influence. One of the things that David always said that, you know, what would you rather have? Do you want to have a vote or do you want to have influence? The influence extends. And so they have a great story that 
uh, can be an influence for people, just like he said, the idea of ownership versus stewardship. If you think about the idea, Dave and Wendell, that we've got, you know, it's like 70% of all businesses in the country are small businesses, family owned. And the question is, is who owns that stock? And so what would you do if you said God owns it? Would you actually give up that stock, put it in a trust, put it in some environment where the primary purpose of that business is for the sake of the kingdom? That's one of the big ideas, because if you say, nope, it's no longer mine, it's truly God's, we release billions of dollars, literally trillions even, for the sake of the kingdom. So I certainly see part of uh, the relationship that we've had over the years as this partnership to be able to get out this message that God's given uh, the family collectively, but also something that I can help bring out as we work together. That's tremendous. You know, you talk about the secret sauce, and I'm sure you've been asked that question uh, more than once, and you reply, listen to and obey the Holy Spirit above all. If God's a true, true owner, we want to follow him we have to know what he said in his scripture. He's guiding us each day. And you talk about navigating Hobby Lobby through COVID. And early on in the pandemic, God gave your wife, Barbara, three words, guide, guard, and groom. Tell us about your reliance on the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and these three words that helped you navigate 50,000 employees through one of the you know, most widespread pandemics in the world. Yes, I would have to say it was very, very difficult to, uh, to do that. We found ourselves, my wife and I, literally morning, noon, and night, we would go to the living room and on our knees and ask God to help us, guide us through this particular time. And we, d we know, looking back on it, that he did guide us and he did guard us. I was not as excited about the grooming part, but anyway, I think he changed us in some way, you know, to depend on him and look to him for guidance. And this is the thing that I think that happened. And so it was very, very difficult. I remember when we had every store closed. And so our rent, by the way, is $40 million a month and there's no money coming in. Hobby Lobby has no debt other than a line of credit. And so it's like we don't have that sitting on a shelf someplace. And so we found it to be very, very difficult, but we also found that God, he did guide us through that, and, and he, he, he brought us through that. And when I say he brought us through that, we still, we still have plenty of opportunities uh, to fail in terms of the cost of delivery, the time of delivery of goods, things of that nature. But we're just asking him to guide us. Still, we need him to guide and guard us, and he is. And I know he's going to take us through this particular time that's very difficult for most all of us. It's been difficult, but God is there with us. Yeah, David, let me jump in too, because on that secret sauce question, one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was go and uh, meet with and interview some of the different leaders inside of the company. And so I always asked them the same question, what is the secret sauce? And this actually goes back to Wendell's question a bit ago, why did we write the book? It's because people would come in here, we host these leadership events six to eight times a year. People come in from all parts of the country and they will observe some of the things that Hobby Lobby does that don't seem to make sense. How can you run a business uh, 66 hours a week, close on Sunday, pay the highest minimum wage, give away half of your profit, 
shouldn't work. You have only one warehouse. You don't use POS. We could keep going on, couldn't we, David? But the point is, is that it shouldn't work, but why does it? And so that secret sauce question, the question you referred to about this chapter, it's the idea that if you really pray and ask God to speak to you about even the littlest things in your business, your organization, sometimes we take it for granted. We get kind of prideful, don't we, David, that we think we're really good. I know this. And I've seen David come in and pray about scissors or glue or ribbon, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's my fun time <laughs> is when I get in, I get to work with the uh, pony beads, and so I can spend a week on pony boots. But I won't talk much about that because then he will be telling me I'm geeking him out. So he thinks I'm a geeker because I can talk about ribbon for three hours. So anyway, we won't go there. That's the I, getting I, in the weeds chapter. Yeah, yeah. I do remember us being on the Hope Cruise together to Alaska, and you had on your phone all the stores, and you were strolling through, you know, just uh, how each of the stores were doing. Do you still do that? Well, I get reports uh, on, on all these stores uh, even twice a day. I know what the sales are. But by the way, I uh, normally, if I carried a phone, it was very unusual because normally I don't have a phone. I have one in my car. Well, that was Barbara's phone. I that mean, was let's okay. set the record straight. Right. That was not your phone. Yeah, that was Barbara's, that was Barbara's phone. phone. So I get on uh, Sunday mornings, the weekly sales come in, and that's, that's what it was. Because you, you geeked me out when you talked about me having a phone. So anyway, I don't advise that for anybody, but it's not something I do is carry a phone. David, say someone's listening, a business leader's listening today, and he really resonates, believes that God is the owner of his business. But he says, what do you, what do, you do when you're facing a major decision and you feel like you haven't heard from God? on the direction you should go. What do you do when you hit that place? You know, I think God wants to lead and guide us. I think it's, be I think it's more because we haven't asked. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. For me, I think that I've never had a time that I didn't know what to do when I really was down on my knees before the Lord. I think He's directed me and the Holy Spirit has directed me. It's the times that I haven't come alongside Him and haven't asked that I can give you a lot of instances where I've just messed up because I went before I really talked to him. So I've tried to make it a habit to try to do what the scriptures say when it says pray without ceasing. And also to be able to do that and feel that I'm, I'm connected with someone, I see Christ with me all the time because he says he never leaves you nor forsakes you. So if you know he's right with you all the time and you talk to him all the time, and another scripture that I use when I'm doing that is, you have not because you ask not. So I want to ask him for directions, but I also want to ask him to make our company better. Of course, there's other things that's more important like your family, your marriage. But in terms of the family, uh, I want to pray that we do better to do more for him, not because I want a bigger car or a bigger home. So that's one of the things that I think God requires of all of us is that is he wants us to be content. How many houses do you need? How, how, many, how much more stuff do you need? Well, there's never enough stuff to make us content. So we should all come to the point that we're content. My mother and dad were very poor, but my mother was content with very, very little. So I tell people my mother died rich because she had six children that served the Lord. 
She had a marriage that lasted till death. She wanted for nothing. And so she, she left this earth more wealthy than a billionaire that doesn't know the Lord. So those are the things that I learned from my parents. Excellent. You know, both of you, by any standard of measurement, are incredibly successful. Uh, but we know success and wealth can be a two-edged sword. Uh, it can be a curse. It could be a burden if it's not managed properly. Solomon's a good biblical example where his prosperity led to excesses and, and really, you know, contributed to him, you know, going astray. What do you say to people that are blessed uh, with wealth and success on how to guard against those temptations? Yeah, that's so good, and that, that goes back to, I think, the main point of this book is what do you do, and how do you not mess your family up? Because so many times with success and wealth, families get messed up more often than not, and wealth is a curse. So we've really tried to put things in place to be stewards instead of owners. We have no one in our comp company that makes any more than what their salary is. There's, no, there's never been a dividend. There will never be a dividend. That would be things that belongs to God. We see him owning it, so he owns the profit. We own what we should get for what we earn. So no family member gets anything they don't earn. They get zero. So everything all of us get is earned. And then within that what you earn, you ought to think about at what point should we be content? How, many, how much money should we really have to make? So our top officers probably don't make as much as other officers in this size company because there is a point that I think it's more important for those that are starting tomorrow and their pay is more important for us. But yes, uh, wealth can be a, a, the Bible tells us it can be a curse. So how do you manage it? I think the best way is say, I, I don't own this. I'm only steward of what God has given us. And that's what we try to do. And that's why we give half of our earnings to, to various ministries. So our profit goes to ministries and it, not to the family. Uh, uh, we think that is where that uh, we have peace in that idea. And Dave, generosity really is the antidote for greed. So if you get to the place where you can say, I'm a steward, then you actually begin to think longer term. So we've got a chapter in the book where we talk about build for 150 years. When you think about the idea that you're trying to set up an organization that could last for 100 years, 200 years, well beyond the length of David and Barbara, but into future generations, and that company would continue to bless others around the world, it makes you think differently. It really says, I've got to think long term. Legacy, we sometimes say, is not what we leave behind, but it's what we put in motion. We put in motion that idea of the long tomorrow, that day in heaven where we get to see uh, the fruits of what we've done with what God's put in our hands. You know, I've heard both of you refer to that as inheritance or heritage. And if I recall, uh, Bill, when you interviewed David on the Hope Cruise, you talked about uh, wealth many times doesn't trickle down. As you move into that third generation, that third generation may not carry on those same values and priorities. Is that correct? And if so, how do you mitigate that from happening? Well, that's some of what David was referring to is that he did have this deep concern that he could impair his 
uh, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and the statistics bear that out. It's a 97% failure rate if a business makes it to the fourth generation. So only 3% succeed, and if it makes it into the third generation, it's still an 85% failure rate. So how do you mitigate against it? It's really what David's been talking about. It is if people realize, hey, this is not mine, and we are really just trying to steward what God's given us, you have a far greater chance of succeeding from generation to generation. When we bring our future managers in, because we will have a 1,000 stores uh, this next spring, we make sure that all of them come in here, because we need them to know what the culture is here. And I should just talk a few minutes, because I only want to say a few things to them. And the things that I say to them is the fact that the easiest thing for most of us to do is to be successful at what we do at our careers. That's the easiest. The hardest things are the most important things, and that's our marriage, and that's raising our children. And so there's where I tell them that this is where you need to put more emphasis, not on Hobby Lobby. I'm not worried about Hobby Lobby. Because if they care about their family, if they care about their marriage and their children, then Hobby Lobby is going to be fine. So I want to point them to a situation which what is important in your life, and that is to have godly children. You don't want to end up being a billionaire and your children not serving the Lord. So what's most important to us? I would rather Hobby Lobby not exist if I lost one child. And so this is what we want to make sure we put in front of everything else and that is guiding our family and doing it by being an example first. And by the way, in that example, there's none of us perfect, cer perfect. Certainly, not, certainly not me, my wife, my children. But at the same time, I think we can do the best we can to be what God would have us to be. David, there's often a, a temptation toward pride that comes with success. You talk a lot about cultivating a spirit of humility as a leader, uh, what would you say to leaders with regard to why that is so important to walk in humility as a leader? Yeah, I think it uh, really, I think it even changes the decisions you make um, when you have pride. I, th I, I think you make wrong decisions because of pride. Of course, probably the most ugly sin I think some for God is pride because we're competing against Him. And I know the Lord really dealt with me in 1985 when we crashed and the bank was going to foreclose on us. The Lord just kind of told me, the Holy Spirit, well, you're so smart, you're going to have it by yourself. And I had it by myself. And that's where I found myself under my desk really crying out and asking God to forgive me. And so if you want to get up there on that pedestal, it's fine, but you're going to come down. And so why get up there? Because uh, God has guaranteed you that you're going to fall. Um, and I just think it's better. You know, when I'm working with my people, I want to make sure they know that I want the best idea, not my idea. And I'm really okay. I wouldn't be okay if I had a pride problem, but I'm really okay with it being their idea instead of mine. So that's one of the things that works well in business. When you don't have pride, a lot of times we say, well, we're hiring people smarter than us, yet we don't listen to them. I think in every one of my officers, I think they know more about their department than I know. But I can come in and maybe ask questions and see why and maybe offer something. But I want to make sure that we're working together and it's not I'm coming in and having all the answers. I don't have all the answers. There's so many departments like legal and IT that I'm, I, I know nothing about. 
So I think it's my job as a, as a leader to come alongside them, listen to them, and let them know we're together, and it doesn't matter who comes up with the answer. What's important is that we come up with an answer together, and we're on the same page. Uh, David and Bill, I know both of you put family as a priority, as you alluded to your family, uh, but also the families of your employees, and you've modeled that throughout your business life. But there are so many people that are going to listen to this that are at a job or they have started a business where it's a culture of either or, either work or family. And I'll never for, forget being in a corporate office in a city and hearing the news that a, that a woman had jumped out of one of the top offices uh, because of the stress, the pressure. And that's all she was doing as they shared her story. You know, so tragic. And I know that's an extreme case. But how do you instill that in the culture of your business? Family, as you wrote in one of your chapters, the title, uh, Family Over Money. You know, uh, we do it, as I said earlier, with our office, our future uh, managers, every single one of them know what our culture is and what's important. We tell them what's important. And then if my family's important to me, I should think the same way about every family. And so I want to make an environment here where they don't have to work six days a week. And that's why we're closed on Sunday. That's why we're closed at eight o'clock, only 66 hours a week. There is no large company our size that's open 66 hours a week. So we want to do everything that we can to help the family. Everybody that's soured in our company can go on a weekend that uh, talks about marriage and how, how to strengthen the marriage. And so we pay for a weekend. Um, at the corporate office here where we have about 7,000 employees, we have instructors coming in and talks about we've had thousands of people go through Dave Ramsey. We've had uh, hundreds if not thousands of people that's gone through seminars about marriage and raising children. And so we're here. I just felt like there was a particular time that the Lord told me, I'm putting these people in your charge. And so I really felt responsible to do all I can to be concerned about their families. That's why we have a, a clinic here. We have an MRI machine. We have doctors. We have a pharmacy. So what is it that I could do for everybody that's here to help them in their family to make their family uh, work better. Yeah, Dave, I thought you were going to go to actually chapter 12. This is where I thought you were going to go because part of the answer to the question, because there are people that would be listening to this podcast and they, they're thinking, man, I'm stuck. I'm not where I want to be right now. But chapter 12 talks about the idea that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And we actually reference uh, in the chapter the life of Joseph. And you think about Joseph. Joseph had a pride problem. And so he had to go down, sold into slavery, uh, working away, and then he got put in prison. And he had this long period of time before he got lifted up and elevated to a position where he could lead and influence. And so oftentimes we are in that place, we're in a place where we don't really want to be, but what the scriptures teach and what David talks about oftentimes, whatever your hand finds to do in that moment, 
Do it with all your might, and then God will bring you to the place that you need to be. But too many times we complain about where we're at. Uh, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to take care of sheep, or I don't want to be, you know, the, the guy that's in the prison trying to take care of things, the steward of the prison like Joseph was. But we'll never get to where we need to be if we don't do our whatever. I think we're actually in disobedience if we're flipping hamburgers and we're doing it half-heartedly because the Bible says for us to do whatever our hands finds to do. Whatever is a huge word. It means whatever. And so whatever it is, let's do the very, very best we can. And in that obedience, I think we're going to, I know that we're going to find where God wants us to be. But it's not man that's going to put us there. We may give man the credit, but God is going to get you where you need to be if you're following his instructions, and that's to do the very best we can of what God has given us. And by the way, if we're in a place that it's not right, we know it's not right, God knows it's right, right I think that's the time for us to go to the God and pray, and, and at some point, he's going to deliver you there. He may have you there for a different reason that you don't even know about, but if not, and he doesn't want you there, he can get you out. So I think prayer is very important in an environment where someone's just not comfortable where they are. I'll tell you one of the greatest proofs of that, I would encourage our listeners, when you go into a Hobby Lobby, and I know all of you do often, like I do with my wife, ask the employees why they love working there. And they will tell you this, they love the family, the community of caring, uh, but also they're part of a, an institution that's changing the world. And when you're giving away 50% of your profit, of God's blessing, as you wrote in the book, that's going to attract, that's going to motivate, and that's going to keep great employees. Amen? Amen. We find that to be true. Uh, Wendell, you have any other uh, questions you want to ask? Well, we're just so blessed, David, by your ministry and your business, your leadership, Bill. Uh, your leadership as um, encouraging people toward generosity, God's people. Uh, we just uh, commend you both and thank you for this book that you've written. Uh, tremendous blessing to uh, God's people. You know, many people, I'm afraid, may not read this book because they're going to say to themselves, I don't, lead, I don't lead a large company or organization with a huge budget and 50,000 employees you know, this isn't going to be relevant to me. What would you say to that person? I think it's relative to, relevant to all of us because I think it's trying to lead us to the Word. Uh, we love God's Word. That's why the museum, that's why a million kids have gotten the gospel in the last 20 years, a billion, a billion families. We love God's Word. And I think this book points you to His Word. So in your situation, whatever it is, I think if we find ourselves, find ourselves in prayer and in God's Word, it will guide us wherever we are, whatever size business we are in. And so I think it's hopefully it's for all of us, and that is uh, leading us to where God has given us Emmanuel. He didn't just create us, but He gave us Emmanuel, and that's His Word, and we love God's Word. Yeah, and I would say, David, as well, that part of the idea of the writing the book was that we all have leadership. 
whether that's leadership of ourselves, our own lives, our day-to-day -day disciplines. Uh, so how we live that out on a day-by-day -day basis is one of our first forms of leadership. But if we're in a family, we're in an organization, uh, even if we just aspire to be a leader or we consider ourselves an observer, a, a learner from leaders, it's one of those books that gives you the observations that will help you in your day-to-day -day life. And that's really where we tried to end it with the idea that whatever, whatever God puts in your hands, be faithful with it, do it with all your might, and you'll certainly receive the blessing from God. I can tell you the book that I've got in my hand here uh, has notes and underlines all through it. Uh, what a great book, application, study. How can our listeners find more information about both of you in this incredible book? Yeah. Oh, you want me to go there? Yeah. Well, there is a oh, website. By the way, you can go to Hobby Lobby and buy the book. Yeah, you can go to Hobby Lobby. Uh, there's a website for the book itself, Leadership Not by the Book, and you'll get David's bio, you'll get my bio. Uh, certainly, you can also go to uh, our different websites, thesignatory.com, vinelegacy.com, and you'll hear more about the journey that we've been on. Uh, certainly, go buy the book, pick it up, learn some from the story, and share it with others. Leadershipnotbythebook.com, or when you go to Hobby Lobby, buy a case of them. There you go. Uh, I love, though, how you conclude the book, David, if we could finish with this, that uh, you really challenge us to not just coast to the end. How do you conclude the book? You know, well, I think one of the things is what Bill's talked about, and that's for whatever God has given us, to be faithful in it and do the very best you can. And I think we need to see things internal as eternal or temporal. I want my life to have something to do that, that makes a difference eternally. So there's so much our lives can just not count a hundred years from now. So many things we can do. So if we can kind of focus on what God would have for us, and I think he's got something for us that matters. What matters is people's uh, souls and, and bringing people to know Christ. So I think we all have a part in that. I know we do. We all should have a part in that, that we should look to see what can we do to make a difference in, in people's lives. And uh, I think we can all be part of that. You, know, you say our lives are like a fog. We have two distinct lives, our vapor life and our eternal life. Amen. I love that. Yeah. And so all of us that are listening, you know, we're influencers. And I love how you end the book. Let's sprint to the finish line for God's glory. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.